T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's Todd Feinberg. It's Todd Feinberg. Monday through Friday, 3 till 6 on WTIC News Talk 1080. You remember Jan Helfeld? I think that's his name, Jan Helfeld. We had him on a couple times. He's this guy used to be uh, a gotcha sort of reporter who wanted to prove that politicians don't have any values. They have no principles. And he proved it with all kinds of politicians interviewing them. Listen to Lindsey Graham. He's asked, uh, Helfeld is trying to prove that Lindsey Graham doesn't believe in uh, conservative values. And that, that is foundational values to America. And that is smaller government. Listen to Lindsey Graham. Are you against redistribution of wealth? Yes, I'm for everybody rising when all boats rise. I don't believe it's the government's role to pick winners and losers of who should get this amount of money or who should get that. Now, as soon as he says that, the next thing from Lindsey Graham's mouth is the opposite. I'm for safety nets. I'm for helping people who have lost their job. I'm for Medicare and Social Security being sustainable over time. Uh, I'm for helping veterans. But this idea of controlling the economy and micromanaging wages has never worked. They called it communism. It failed. So, uh, so Lindsey Graham believes in big government and big government programs, and he thinks they're wonderful. And that's fine if that's what he believes. He should say it straight. But he said both in that in that little clip, which I kind of find kind of amazing. Listen again. Are you against redistribution of wealth? Yes, I'm for everybody rising when all boats rise. I don't believe it's the government's role to pick winners and losers of who should get this amount of money or who should get that. I'm for safety nets. I'm for helping people who have lost their job. I'm for Medicare and Social Security being sustainable over time. Uh, I'm for helping veterans. But this idea of controlling the economy and micromanaging wages has never worked. They called it communism. It failed. So he's uh, taken a knock at communism, but he says he's for redistribution of wealth after he says he isn't. That's problematic, you know, and this is the kind of stuff we have to watch for. We've got to be able to harness our political figures and rein them in and make them stay true to constitutional values, which we will discuss in just a couple minutes. Rob Sampson, state senator, will be here to talk about what's going on at the Capitol as they deal with all kinds of horrible legislation. Right now, we're going to Mark Christopher in the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. Hey, Mark. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. 
Monday afternoon. This is a scary time of year because the legislature is in session, and that generally means bad things are going to happen. We do have a line of defense, and uh, that is largely Rob Sampson and a smattering of others. State Senator from Wolcott. Rob, thanks for being here. Always my pleasure, Todd. Thanks for having me. You serve on the Housing Committee. Is that what it's called? Yes, I am the ranking Republican, which is kind of like the minority chairman on several committees, including housing. So this is uh, there's a lot of bad ideas that Democrats have about how to get government intervening and making a mess of the uh, of of the housing marketplace more than it has already. What what are the things you're most concerned about? Well, I, I've never actually served on the housing committee before, but I volunteered for that assignment this year because I saw the Democrats gearing up for a huge push <laughs> for, um, uh, you know, a creation of more government mandates for affordable housing that would ignore local uh, zoning. Uh, and then plenty of uh, policies that just simply affect the private contracts between landlords and tenants. Uh, rent control, uh, they wanted, they had several bills this year, including limiting uh, rent increases to two and a half percent, which which is just a shocking thing to do in a, in a marketplace where the average inflation is, uh, you know, seven percent or so. Um, and we managed to stop those bills on the rent control. They've been turned only into a task force to study the issue. So I, that's a huge victory uh, for myself and my few uh, courageous Republican colleagues who pushed back very hard. And we took a lot of heat uh, from the uh, the far left radical. What uh, is it Twitter that you that think <laughs> caused them to turn and run on that? Uh, I think that there's just a, a, the arguments that we made were compelling, which is that, you know, on one hand, they're trying to say that the state has a shortage of affordable housing and that the government needs to be involved to intervene. And on the other hand, they're saying that these housing providers are not welcome. I mean, you know, how does that even work? How can you propose to be encouraging the creation of more housing when you're trying to chase away the people that provide it? But that's what they do with everything, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's exactly what they do with everything. They uh, create (laughs) an emergency. I tell people all the time about uh, tolls is my great example. Tolls and bridges. Or I mean, roads and bridges. People always say, you know, we need. That's the one thing the republic, the politicians come to us all the time about. We need money for to fix the roads and bridges, and people are always always willing to ante up for that. But you notice they never actually do it. <laughs> and that's yes. because the same moment they do, they can't come back looking for that money again. Uh, yeah, th- there is that danger, and the uh, so you're saying it's a tension that they want to be able to. Uh, make policy around, but they don't want to actually uh, catch, they don't want to be the dog that catches the mail truck. Right. There's a, I, I appreciated your Lindsey Graham uh, piece, by the way, because I hear that type of thing from my colleagues on a regular basis. <laughs> and I understand where they're coming from. But the, the, the problem with that is that they're, they're giving far too simple an answer because they're lazy. You know, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that these programs, even Social Security, is a bad anti-American idea. Mm-hmm. But when you say that, people just they, they step back aghast. Like, how dare you say that? Social Security is what's keeping my uh, elderly, uh, you know, relatives and so forth, uh, you know, so that they can afford to live. Well, the fact of the matter is that I, I, no one wants to get rid of it today. But I think that there are better solutions and we ought to work on them so that we don't have, have an entitlement program. I'll give you a good example directly related to the, the subject of the uh, rent caps. Um, the hardest question I get, and I'm looking at it right on my Facebook page right now, which is, what is the solution for elderly on fixed income where Social Security is their only income? 
and they just talk about how rents are too high and they can't afford them. And I'm like, the answer is stop believing the government when they tell you that they are there to help. That's the answer. Yes, they're the ones who create these huge. I mean, you alluded to the uh, inflation a couple of minutes ago when you were talking about the proposal to cap the the increases in in rents that landlords could charge. And that inflation is a government caused problem. And rather than fix the inflation, they run around looking to use it as an opportunity to do more bad things that will continue to drive up the cost of living. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to continue on the subject of the housing issues, we managed to stop the rent control, but they have plenty of other bad ideas, including uh, moratoriums on evictions, suggesting that landlords would not be able to evict their tenants for four months out of the year, regardless of the reason. Not just non-payment of rent, but like if the lease expires or there's another breach of contract, even if that person is uh, a, a nuisance, according to the law, actually, the definition in the law, which is a nuisance to both either the landlord or other tenants. Um, it's incredible. Uh, there's the bills that say that the uh, landlord would have to use the credit report provided by the tenant as if that could be trusted and that they couldn't charge <laughs> oh. for the credit report until after they gave the person the news that they weren't taking them mm-hmm. um, as a tenant. I mean, who's going to pay at that point? I mean, it just they create so many problems. Uh, and you're right. They try and come along with supposed solutions. But a lot of this is just showing off for their base. That That's really all it is. They're, it's to they're pretend to... that they're doing something to mitigate. What's funny to me, Rob, is we're talking to Rob Sampson, state senator from Wolcott. What I see is this um, this permanent desire to make messes of everything. And and uh, those messes, they come riding in to look like the cavalry coming to save the day from this messy marketplace and those evil capitalists who are in it. When in fact, the problems are all created by the, uh, the plundering of the government class. It must get really frustrating from your point of view in terms of communicating that message to people. Right. And there's, there's a distortion of the facts from the media. I mean, the number one quoted uh, statement out of all of the hearings that we've had on the rent control issues was uh, one of the folks testifying who said that uh, uh, the free market is the problem. And that's the thing that's been repeated over and over again, as if there's any type of free market in housing in Connecticut. I mean, the game is rigged. I mean, the government shut down the ability of landlords to collect rent for a year. You know, I mean, They shut down the housing uh, court system for a couple of years. They uh, have the game swayed in, in so many ways. Uh, how can anyone conceive of that as a free market? Well, and the plus, same going on in other areas. Too. Well, nevertheless, the only reason anything is happening in, in uh, the rental market, the only reason there are apartments, the only reason they're for rent, the only, the only reason people have a job so they can collect money and pay the rent is because of markets. And even though they're not they're not good marketplaces because the government keeps making a mess of them, it's remarkable that they can get away with those arguments that are so disingenuous and, and, and utter fabrications. They're just complete lies. The only thing that we have is what is provided to us by capitalism. I couldn't agree more. And it's just so sad that there are so many people uh, who come to the legislature and make extremely heartfelt and passionate arguments um, to the opposite, because they are just ignorant of our history. They are ignorant of 
just the benefit of freedom and capitalism and what it has brought to our world and, and that we live in the greatest place uh, with the greatest quality of life in human history as a result. They just don't get it. They, they think that government is the answer and government's there to protect them. But, but I don't get Rob, How can people be that dumb? You know, even if you're not educated and even if you don't know about the history of this country, if you just look around, is government running the coffee shop where you stop to get the excellent cup of coffee in the morning? They don't even make the bad cups of coffee uh, glad, happily because that means the bad ones aren't as bad as they might be. The problem, it strikes me, that we have is that government controls education. And as a result, everyone's getting mediocre, dull education when we need really fast-moving, agile, and uh, changing education that meets the demands of the moment. And that's what the curb on, on productivity is, is because government has made so many messes already. I, I couldn't agree more. But there's so many reasons. And the number one reason I would say more than anything, besides the fact that the far left controls education, entertainment, the most of the news media, so that's the messaging people are getting. Mm -hmm. But the biggest reason is it's just easier to be a victim. And that's what they sell. They sell victimhood. And people, especially if they have an excuse based on their race or where they grew up or they, you know, they're from the inner city, uh, they, they will cling to that. And I'm not even saying that that is not without any merit at all, because you and I would agree that there is, uh, you know, a systemic problems created by Democrats in the way they deliver services and, and make people dependent upon them. But the fact of the matter is it's just easier to say, I did not have the same opportunity as my landlord did, and now he's taking advantage of me as a tenant. And that's, that's what's wrong with everything going on in this state. Yeah, but even if that were true, to punish the landlord for that by saying that he can't collect the rent that he needs to get because Democrats have driven up the cost of living, the effect of that, anybody can see, is going to be to discourage people from investing in housing and to discourage people from investing in upgrading the existing housing. So who wins from that? Well, no one does, but uh, they don't see it. They don't see beyond today. They don't see beyond the immediate. And it's a question I ask many people who testify before the committees. Do you know what the result of this is? Do you understand that people are not going to be inclined to do this type of work in the future if you discourage them. And we have so many more bills. I mean, this week coming up, there's going to be a bill in the Labor Committee that basically says that you can't do any on-call shift scheduling. In other words, you can't plan someone's, uh, you, you, you can't ask them to be on call. You have to plan their schedule in advance. And that just doesn't work for lots of industries. Certain like industries, rest, yeah. Yeah, restaurants and landscapers. I mean, how, you can't go cut the grass when it's snowing. You know, I mean, it's like, but um, they don't care. They don't care. They're just going to pass the policy and people will testify in favor of it and say that this is the only way things can be. And they don't care about the disruption in the marketplace because that goes to their benefit, too. Yeah, because they ride into the rescue. We're going to protect you from those evil people as everything keeps getting worse. And the only the only place people can turn for protection is to the big government that has made the mess in the first place. And they don't realize it. Today, I'm in two separate monumental hearings. I'm sure you probably heard about the big judiciary hearing today where we're going over uh, you know, a mountain of gun control proposals. I'm disappointed that a few people came to testify. I mean, there may be a thousand pieces of testimony online, uh, but I think there's only about 100 people signed up to testify in person or Zoom. And I think that's 
that's a shame because we we need a much larger turnout. Anyone who uh, certainly people that have a pistol permit or own a firearm or anyone who values this country and our Bill of Rights, particularly the Second Amendment, ought to be participating in this because we are in grave danger of losing um, many significant aspects of our Second Amendment protections. I mean, they want to get rid of, um, you know, restrict you to one firearm per month. They want to ban a whole host of more types of guns. They want to create a whole bunch of different crimes just for possessing certain things. Uh, they want to make more requirements about how you store your firearm. They want to micro stamp the firing pin on your gun. I mean, there's, there's just so many ridiculous things. And none of those have anything to do with uh, quote unquote gun violence that they like to point to, uh, because those things admitted by them in the hearing right out of the gate, the first three or four people testifying in favor all acknowledge that the vast majority of violence is caused by stolen firearms. I'm like, mm-hmm. but why are we being soft on crime then? How come no one's talking about that? Why are we addressing the root cause of the problem? And that's because, you know, uh, it benefits their worldview. And uh, this gun control stuff is really just used by Democrats to gin up their base and to raise money. But the the, the uh, people who own guns are organized, and why aren't they mobilized? Why why is there a shortage of people testifying today? I think that they, for the most part, look at it like uh, their voice is not going to matter. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and I they couldn't be more wrong. They could not be more wrong, which is why I have. Uh, spent the last several weeks trying to put together, you know, kind of like a warning list of the bad bills that are coming in the next several days. It's very hard to do, too, Todd, I got to tell you, because the game is rigged against us. And the Democrats, they only are required to give you five days notice for a public hearing. Generally speaking, the language for the bill doesn't even exist until the day of. So no one even knows what they'd be testifying on or off uh, or about. And um, they count, you know, Thursday night at 11.59 p.m. is the first day. And then so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday morning, 9 a.m. here. You know, so they're, they're very clever about, <laughs> yeah. you know, rigging the game. Well, so it's hard malicious, to I think, is what we would call that. We're talking to Rob Sampson, state senator from Wilco. We've got uh, 90 seconds left. What else can you tell us? I was just kind of so you got the gun control in one hearing and then the other hearing that I'm in, I'm actually the ranking member of the government administration elections committee as well. And over there, we're talking about ranked choice voting. There's there's literally half a dozen bills on the agenda today for ranked choice voting. And I got to tell you that that will be a disaster. They also have bills to allow incarcerated people to vote. Mm -hmm. They have bills to say that um, there'll be mandatory voting time, mandatory. And they, they talk about it like it's a good thing. You know, like I'm like, you're depriving someone of a right when you make something mandatory. And uh, I think that was lost on uh, some of the people that were testifying in favor. Um, <laughs> but we'll keep working at it. Uh, Rob, are you saying you can still you still want to mobilize people to testify today? I can't mobilize anyone to testify today because, generally speaking, they also abuse the rules by requiring folks to sign up the day before by 3 p.m. is the typical mm-hmm. deadline. Um, but I will be releasing the next batch, uh, hopefully things for Thursday or Friday of this week that you can still sign up for and maybe Monday, Tuesday and next week. So I will I will check in once I have that. All right. How do people find you online? Yes. In fact, I'd encourage people to sign up on my website for email updates. It's at Senator Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N dot com. And if you go there and you sign up for my email updates, I will be sure to be getting things in your email to let you know how you can help out. And it's so easy these days, Todd. You don't even have to go to the Capitol. You can just sign up online and you can tune in by Zoom. 
Uh, you can, you know, read your testimony. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be long. Yeah, just a few sentences. Mm-hmm. But it's a numbers game. And when there's a bad bill and there's 300 people testifying in favor of it and there's only a couple speaking against, it makes it very hard to defend. State Senator Rob Sampson, thank you, sir. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All righty. So there are the horrors that are being pursued at the state capitol. It's good to stay up to date on how dangerous and malicious they are with their legislation. 860-522-9842. Call in a rant. We'll be playing those in about 40 minutes. 860-751-4698 for the rant line. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Never miss a moment. Go listen to the Todd Feinberg podcast on the Odyssey app. Yep, Donald Trump in the news again. How do you feel about that? And how's it going to end up? 860-522-9842. This is a little analysis from a a lefty political reporter from NBC. Look, this guy is out for blood. And I think the problem with all of these more normal calculuses about DeSantis is that Trump is not a normal candidate. So Trump will not do what Marco Rubio did or Ted Cruz did and go quietly. So I think that for a lot of these Republicans who think they can swap him out, I'm not sure how that works when you have someone who really is comfortable running as a third party candidate or just destroying the party on his way out. What do you think about that? Is that something Trump would do in your mind? Would Trump 
Would Trump destroy the party on, on his way out? If he can't win, would Trump go quietly or would he take uh, some kind of um, cutting device, you know, and uh, mow down the mow down the Republican Party? In 2016, I declared, I am your voice. Today, I add, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. Retribution is a big thing. That means he wants to uh, destroy the people who stood in his way. And they may deserve it, but I don't know where that goes in terms of productivity for us. Ralph's in South Carolina. Hi, Ralph. Good afternoon, Todd. How are you? Thanks for the call. A couple things. Uh, my son was living in L.A. for yeah. six years, yeah, and he has just moved to Louisiana. And his paycheck uh, went up five hundred dollars. Wait, he's in the same job. You mean he just relocated? Same job. He work from home. Exact same thing. Just yeah. moved. Yes, just moved from California, and that's all state income tax. So, so that's I'm assuming that's a two week paycheck. He's so he's yes, going to make. A thousand bucks a month, more right. more cash. Plus, he has two other. Uh, he does uh, fantasy football. He's got a couple other people that he works. With, he does fantasy football for, and the taxes on that money will be that much less. Also, it's incredible how much money is wasted to support these socialist um, constructs that what they happened? make in the liberal states. Todd, what's going to happen when they're talking about giving appropriations to all these uh, quote-unquote former uh, resident, uh, residents, uh, ancestors of former slaves? They're talking half a trillion dollars or more. That states. Well, just... the you know, I th I think the main point in talking about about um, reparations is to not notice that reparations are going on under a different name. So, so I don't think that the reparations are the thing to fear. It's uh, if you were listening to Rob Sampson in the uh, in the last segment, you would hear him talking about all these ridiculous public policy maneuvers that are, you know, further bankrupting of the state that the left wants to do in order to buy votes from their core constituencies. And it's this simple dynamic that has gotten out of hand. Thank you, Ralph, for the call. Good to hear from you. 860-522-9842. More coming your way after we get a traffic update. A little traffic and weather together on the 8th. We've got Mark Christopher in the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. Now, back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Good afternoon to you. Kind of a nice week this week. Temperature's a little mellower. And speaking of mellow, we've got Chris Powell coming our way on WTIC, which is always a nice thing. Hello there, Chris. Hey, Todd. Uh, would you mind if I elaborated on a point you made with Rob Sampson a minute ago? Are you kidding? You elaborate away. Well, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, how this rent control uh, stuff is uh, is not going to encourage housing construction, rental housing construction in Connecticut. I, I would encourage everybody interested in this issue to go to uh, the New London Days Internet site, uh, which is theday.com, and read the story that uh, the day published Sunday about uh, 
uh, its reporters uh, who spent a day in housing court in, in New London. And you'll see case after case of you know small landlords who are being expropriated for months and even like as as close uh, as a year in time uh, by uh, housing court cases where people have uh, tenants have not paid their rent but have been able to uh, either on the on their own or with you know state provided lawyers delay their evictions for months and months and months and even though no rent is being paid there's nothing wrong with the apartment it's just that the tenant has fallen on hard times or has got, you know, bad bad luck or is a sad sack or something, then the landlords are 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 just, you know, pounding their fists being expropriated. Uh, you know, they they don't get any uh exemption from paying their mortgages or their taxes or their expenses on maintaining the uh the property. But the state is essentially using these landlords as welfare system providers. You know, if if you're gonna keep people in apartments, uh, even when they don't pay the rent, the state should be paying that bill. And in some cases, the state was paying the bill for uh, a limited time. But, you know, the, the, the landlords can't eat this forever. If I, I finished reading that story and thought <laughs> the last business I would go into in yeah. Connecticut is as a rental housing provider. Well, there's a uh, the, the Democrats plan now is to turn um, anything where they can give a freebie and buy a vote into a vote rigging scheme like that's their whole mo and they want to grow the government they want to collapse the systems and as as those symptoms as those systems collapse then who are you going to turn to about the government to go build housing for you because the landlords yeah, well yeah maybe we, it's going to come to that but you know with the, with the rent control stuff nothing in the rent control propose, proposals uh, does anything to increase housing supply? I mean, it may be a financial windfall for for uh, for certain tenants uh, right now, but that's not going to solve the housing problem in Connecticut. Only housing construction is going to solve the housing problem yeah, but, in Connecticut. What are you going to do it's when not the, all increasing the supply? When all politicians care about is the next election cycle. That's what they're worried about. Is how do they increase their uh, outcomes, their positive outcomes in the next election. And all policy seems tied to that now. It, it almost is ridiculous to argue about about policy because no one's interested in what's good public policy. Well, you know, Rob said that uh, the Democrats here are pandering to their base, trying to, you know, rile them up. But uh, look, I, 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 look, I support uh, more housing in Connecticut. And, you know, I've been to Singapore a few times, uh, which is a remarkable, spectacular place. And most of the housing in Singapore is built directly by the government. Uh, the difference is in, in, in Singapore, the government builds the housing and then uh, sells units or long-term leases on units to the people who live there. The difference is ownership. And so the buildings are kept up very well. Singapore is spectacular. There's very little income inequality in Singapore. There's very little homelessness. There's very little poverty. And yet the, the government builds all the housing. Well, how can this be? It's because the people end up owning the, owning the housing. Well, so so there's no reason that couldn't be done, and it should be done. In cities like Hartford and, you know, all across the state, it's ridiculous that 
the the relationships that mayors like Mayor Bronin develop with developers in order that they can keep the money flowing into campaign accounts and things like that. These are the best friends of the elected officials, the, the people who are making that stuff happen. And the benefits should be accruing to citizens. They should be getting ownership shots at, at their the units they're paying rent on for years. And if if that kind of thing happened, you'd have a totally different outcome in the state. Look, we, that used to be U.S. government policy was to encourage home ownership. Uh, you know, we had low interest loans guaranteed by the government. We had mortgage, uh, home mortgage deductibility, uh, and you know that's that's fine. But we've we've kind of we've kind of outrun that uh, with uh, with inflation, uh, and we've also out, outrun it because we have this huge underclass now that doesn't know how to behave because we've deprived kids of their fathers with the welfare system, and then we've graduated them through the public school system without ever having learned anything, and we give them diplomas, uh, you know, when they they've never mastered high school work. So you know we've got a we've got a big problem here. Uh, well, we do. And, it's, but the housing problem now is so urgent. I, go, I just really wish people would go back and read that story in the Sunday New London Day, and you, you'll see the underclass here uh, up close and its problems. Uh, these people, I mean, in fairness, they have no right to expropriate the housing of the, the landlords that they're, they're stiffing. But, a, you know, a bunch of them, they have nowhere to go. We've got to put them out on the street. I mean, look, at least we need some emergency shelters or barracks or something until we, uh, you know, we, we solve the social problem we've got. We're talking to Chris Powell from the Journal Inquirer. So, Chris, you did a column. Um, over the weekend, you wrote it, I guess. I don't know if it's been printed yet on on the governor and, and the mayors and gun violence. And if they can tell the truth about gun violence, maybe there's hope for something, huh? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't bet a lot of money on it, uh, Todd. But, uh, yeah, the uh, the governor and the, the, the mayors of Connecticut's big cities had a, had a press conference the other day that uh, actually uh, addressed the uh, relevance and reality. I was... I, I was stunned. Uh, they uh, came out. It was, it was about uh, guns and crime, and instead of uh, proposing, you know, still more legislation to uh, impede legal ownership of guns by people who obey the law, uh, they, they started acknowledging that that most of the gun crime in Connecticut is being committed by uh, chronic criminals. Uh, the uh, let's see the, the statistics, statistics they gave in Waterbury: seventy percent of the people charged in shootings last year. We're awaiting trial on other charges or on probation. And 63% already had convictions for violent felonies or, or, or gun, gun crimes. And in, in Hartford, of the people charged in shootings last year, 39% were already awaiting trial on other charges. 14% were on probation. And 5% were on parole. The mayors from Bridgeport and, and New Haven concurred that uh, uh, their, their shootings in, in, in those cities are disproportionately committed by people with, you know, the biggest cliche in journalism, long criminal records. But what do we do about it? Well, in Connecticut, uh, the, 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 the people at the press conference complained that, well, actually, to, to get plea bargains on bigger charges, prosecutors are constantly uh, nollying, declining to prosecute, prosecute uh, gun, gun charges. And the mayors were proposing, look, we ought to have more separate gun, gun courts so that we take gun crimes uh, more seriously. Well, you know, hallelujah, yes, your repeat offenders are disproportionately committing all these violent crimes. So, you know, why are we boasting? 
that we, we're, our prison population in Connecticut is down. Well, of course it's down. All the repeat offenders are out. <laughs> if they get locked up in the first place, because you have to be compassionate, Chris. Well, you know, compassionate until, uh, you know, somebody you love is murdered. Uh, you know what they used to say, the, you know, the conservative is a liberal who's been mugged. Well, uh, we've been mugged many times in Connecticut, and I think it's it's encouraging that at least the mayors and the governor were acknowledging the other day that uh, the, the the big problem with crime, and particularly gun crime in Connecticut, is repeat offenders. So why don't we do something about it? I, we, I've always thought we ought to have an incorrigibility law. I mean, not necessarily... You know, three strikes uh, and you're out with a life sentence. But we have many cases in Connecticut where if we, we had a 10 or even a 20 strikes law, it would make a big difference in cutting down crime. There, there's, it, it, read the papers. I mean, it's my job to read the papers every day. But, uh, you know, practically every day in one, one place or another in Connecticut, uh, there's a serious crime where you get down into the story and it says that, you know, the, uh, the defendant has a long criminal record. You know, sometimes 10, sometimes 20, or even more convictions than that. And I have to ask, you know, when do we realize that these people are incorrigible? Well, there's not an interest in keeping people locked up. Again, it, that doesn't fit the Democrats' brand, does it? Well, look, I'm, I'm not for keeping people locked up, you know, either, if something better can be done with them. But, you know, after 10 or 20 convictions, uh, it, it's time to, you know, to wake up. I mean, there was another uh, big uh, uh, point that was made at a, a different uh, press conference at the Capitol the other day. There was a, a report uh, about the uh, the status of uh, Connecticut's prisoners and, and parolees and uh uh, this was a, a state-sponsored report. It said half of our parolees in Connecticut have a serious drug problem. Sixty uh, percent are mentally ill. Uh, half of them lack a high school diploma. Eighty-five percent of them have less than five years of work experience, and 32 percent have less than you know, two years of work experience. Eighteen percent of them have no housing. Now, when you release such people uh, into society, unskilled, uneducated, unhoused, uh, destitute. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to go back into crime. So why are we releasing these people without at least giving them, you know, some job training, an internship, some temporary housing and insurance? Uh, you know, this is, these people are, are not prepared to function outside prison, but we're letting them out anyway. Well, and we're also allowing the prison system to be in the business of keeping people captive for long periods of time and not providing those educational opportunities. If you've got somebody captive, prepare them to be functional out in the streets. How about that? Yeah, well, of course, we shouldn't be releasing people unless they are prepared to, you know, live a normal, decent life outside prison. And uh, look, I'm sure, you know, some people in prison are trying to teach skills, but it's certainly, certainly not enough. I mean, this, uh, uh, this report, uh, which, you know, I've linked it in my, my column, it's it should be shocking. But, you know, we're, we're boasting about the decline in the prison population, and we're wondering where all these crimes come from. <laughs> we're talking to Chris Powell from the Journal Inquirer. So where does all this end up? Because it, it feels a little circular. Everybody can see what the problem is if they look, and, and you lay it out very clearly and sharply for everybody to see. And yet the, the party that rules the state is, is excited 
about letting people off the hook for committing crimes and ignoring or misrepresenting what's causing the, the high rate of crime and not blaming it on recidivism out loud? Why suddenly are they saying it out loud? Do you have any sense of what, what the gain is for them to articulate it? Well, you know, certainly uh, Democrats, uh, they 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 don't like to be tough on crime. And, uh, you know, they think of themselves as, uh, you know, the party of uh, of poor people. But I mm-hmm. I would remind them that the victims of crime are mostly poor people, too. Uh, you know, why, why? How are you helping, uh, you know, one set of poor people by letting others, you know, other poor people, you know, prey on them? Look, in any case, these Democrats, the, the governor and the mayors of the big cities, acknowledged the other day that repeat offenders are, you know, the big problem with with gun crime, particularly and and crime generally. Maybe that's a start. Now. We don't have any Republican legislators, as far as I know, in Connecticut that are proposing an incorrigibility law. But, uh, you know, maybe if the Republican minority in the legislature uh, made much more noise on this particular point, it would, you know, push the Democrats in the right direction. We can only hope anyway. And it's a great word to to have in the news and be repeating on a regular basis. So just for that alone, I think we should pursue it. Well, yes, I, I agree, and I would just encourage people to notice in these crime stories the, the number of them that say that the you know, perpetrator has a long criminal record, and then ask yourself, then why was he out? Yeah, that's what jumps into my mind. Chris Powell, thank you, sir. Always good to talk with you. Thank you, Todd. Bye-bye. We will see you next week. Journal Inquirer is where Chris is from. Jeff in Marlboro. Hello there, Jeff. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for the call, sir. Um, thank you for taking it. I know you got a break in a couple minutes, so I just want to—I'll make it real quick. I just want to ask you a quick question on—I'm um, just going to pose a little scenario, Good. and then I'll—I'll I'll, I'll let you talk about it. And I hope you do. Um, so, you know, a lot of going on with the Second Amendment, you know, today in Connecticut, and I'm a big supporter of the Second Amendment. And I know you've been more and more discussing a smaller or less or even non-existent government. I was wondering if we combined my love of the Second Amendment, I wish I could carry around whatever I want to carry, mm-hmm. uh, combined with uh, total no government. How would you see that scenario going down if any John Q. public could just you know go carry whatever he wants around? Uh I don't know. I don't know what the reaction to that would be. It's, it's been a long time, so there's a recalibration that some people's sensibilities would have to go through. But it's a really interesting question, and, and uh, you know, the more small government you have, the more it makes sense to have uh, people carrying weapons so that you don't have to build up those, those government uh, military operations or policing operations. Thank you for that, Jeff. Good to hear from you. 860-522-9842. Let's find out how the ride is going. How is the ride going? We're going to the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center, checking in with Mark Christopher. Hey, Mark. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.